Thank you, Will. I, I'll be honest, you know, when I was first given this passage, I, I, I was so excited, and I'm still excited, and I've, I've always been excited as I've, as I've been reading this amazing passage of Scripture over and over and over again. It's been a real blessing to me personally. And when I got it, it's like a preacher's dream, isn't it? This passage is just awesome. And I wanted to, to give Daff a, a box of roses or something to say thank you for letting me be the one to, to preach on this passage. It's great. But actually, the more I thought about it, the more I thought this actually is an impossible task. I have... The, the role before me this evening is to, is, to ex, is to expound to you the wonders and the glories of Jesus. It's impossible. I can't do that. So we need the Holy Spirit's help, and we are grateful for his word because he's already done it for us in there. So, Daph, you're not going to get your roses because I've been set up for failure. But let's pray that Jesus is glorified as we go on through this. You see, what's interesting is, I think in many ways, we've just read this amazing passage of Scripture that that, that magnifies Jesus and and, and just puts him in in the right perspective. But I think daily, as we walk the Christian life, um, we tend to make Jesus a bit smaller, a bit more manageable. We think about him in in, in bite-sized chunks. You know, a few weeks ago, I, had the, I opened this passage up in, in my life group, and before we read it, I just asked the question, if, if someone was, if you were going to tell somebody about Jesus, what would you say to them? And they got into little groups, and they went through, and, and we gave them a few minutes, and we came back, and, and they, said, they said things, that, the same sort of things that I would say. They said, well, that, that Jesus is just loving, and that, that, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead. And, and there were all these things that we all believe are true, and that he was the most loving person that ever, that ever walked the earth, and that he's in heaven. Um, but what struck us as we, we then read this passage was just how small our Jesus had become. And we live, and there's pressure in our, in our world today to keep Jesus small as well, as, isn't there? Because we live in an age of, of pluralism. I mean, surrounded around us all across London, there are people of other faiths, of other religions, of other, of other ideas about, about God and other ideas even about Jesus. And, and we have to live in that pluralistic society. We have to do that, and we want to respect and love people of different ideas as well. And we have to, we have to do it. So, so there's this pressure on us. So, you know, let's not make such a fuss about these differences. Um, you might be aware that just a, um, uh, a few weeks ago, there was, there was a couple of street preachers who, who were prosecuted for, for preaching, and I don't want to get into the whole rights and wrongs of what they said and all that sort of stuff. What was interesting was one of the things that the, the prosecutor said in the court case was what was really offensive about the things that they were saying was that Jesus was the only way to heaven. That is, they implied that that was the most offensive thing that could be said. And there, there is truth in that. We can understand why that would be offensive to people. So, so there's this, this pressure on us to see, well, we need to keep Jesus smaller. We need to keep him manageable. We, we need to realize that, that the pressure on us is people say, well, we'll keep him in his place. You know, Jesus is all right for you. Jesus is okay for you. Jesus is all right, but don't make him everything. You know, Jesus is okay, but, but remember there are lots of other gods out there, and, and you've got to keep him in perspective with all those other gods. The problem is the Bible doesn't let us do that. And this passage we've just been reading does not let us keep Jesus small. 
And in fact, that is, that's pretty much the, the challenge that we face. is pretty much the challenge that the Colossians faced. And as we go through the book of Colossians, we'll realize that what was, what was coming at them, right, they're a very young church, what was coming at them right from the beginning was the pressure to, to, to keep Jesus amongst all the other gods. You know, there were the Roman gods, many of them that, they could be, that you could pick or choose. Then, then there were angels, and then there were other philosophies that, that people were believing. And they were saying, look, the pressure was, you, know, you, you can keep Jesus, that's all right, but, but he's not the only thing. There are other things you can add to him. And just, just, just Jesus is one among many others. And the pressure for, 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 the, for the Colossians was, you know, was just to, to keep Jesus small and in check with all the other gods. And then Paul front loads his letter with this amazing picture of Jesus. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to read through that very slowly and just look at the picture that that Paul paints of Jesus. And we're going to put him in his right perspective. And what Paul is doing right from the beginning is he's kind of hyperlinking the name of Jesus. You know, you're reading a text on, 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 on the internet, and you come across those blue words that are underlined, and you click on those words, and then, then more information pops up. And basically, the idea is that, 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 that they're loaded sections, and, and if you really want to understand what's going on, you, you click on that link, and then you, you can kind of see more about that. And basically, what Paul wants us to do is he wants us to, every time we hear the name of Jesus, to have this kind of image of Jesus hyperlinked into our consciousness. So that we get the right size of image of Jesus. Because when we do that, it changes the way we read the Gospels. It changes the way we think of Jesus. It puts him in his right perspective and it keeps him there. And I think if you're going to sum up what this whole thing is about, these whole verses we're looking at, it's basically this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You don't need more than him. You need him. You need Jesus. I've got three points that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at, they're very simple ideas. The first one is this, Jesus is bigger than we think. Okay, pretty obvious. The second thing is, the gospel is bigger than we think. And the third one is kind of similar to that, but, but really helpful, is the gospel is better than we think. Jesus is bigger than we think, the gospel is bigger than we think, and Jesus is better than we think. So let's start with these verses. It sounds really poetic as you go through it, doesn't it? So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And it goes on and it just sounds so wonderful. And it it was interesting as I I was studying this, I came across lots of ideas where people were saying that this is actually probably an early hymn or an early creed or an early poem that Christians would have have recited to themselves, and and that's that's possible. But either way, it's absolutely wonderful. And Paul starts by saying, by telling us that the Father is pleased to reveal himself through his son. Just look at that, that first verse. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. And later on, we're told a little bit more about, about what that means. If you go down to verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness dwelling in Jesus. 
all the divine nature and characteristics of Jesus, all, his, all the divine attributes of the Father were revealed through the Son. So, so the point is that when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see what He's like. We, God the Father is invisible, but when we look at Jesus, we see Him in all His glory. We can know what God is like. And God is pleased to do that through His Son. And here He's called the firstborn of all creation. But really what that is, is a title about who Jesus is. Jesus is the preeminent one, the most important, the supreme. He was before all things. It's not saying that he was created by God, as we go on and we'll see, as we go on straight into verse 16, he wasn't created, he was the creator. But it's a really important title. So, Jesus is bigger than we think. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. We're talking about the Creator. Jesus is the one who created all things, all things visible and all things invisible. You know, that that means He made the top of Mount Everest, the very top block, 9,000 meters up there in the sky. Okay, he made that, and many people can go and see that. Very brave people have gone to see that. But it also means that he made the, the, the deepest part of the earth, the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is 11,000 meters deep. He made that. And he knows all the animals that are down there because he made them all. You know, this is the one who made all the stars in the galaxy that you and I can see when we gaze up with the naked eye. He made all the stars in, in the, in, in beyond, uh, beyond our galaxy that we can look at through, through Hubble's telescopes and all these kind of things, and we can see and we can know that they exist. This is the one who made all of those things. But then he's also the one that made the stars and the things that are beyond what our greatest telescopes will ever be able to see. Whatever is beyond our universe, whatever goes on beyond the stars, he made those things. Do you realize that, that your eyes and my eyes could only see in 10 million colors? Do you know that we could only see around 10 million colors? And the average LCD screen gives off 16 million colors. Can you work that out? Well, well, God made and designed, Jesus made and designed every single one of those colors. He, he created the beauty that we see with our eyes. But what's more amazing is we can only see 10 million, but, but beyond what we can see, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of other beautiful colors that we just cannot register. He made them all. What we can see and what we can't see. He made it all. And then he took those colors that we can see and those colors that we can't see, and he painted the sky. And he painted the, the, the horsehead nebula, purple. And he, he painted my Billy Joe's eyes. And he used those colors in beautiful, wonderful ways. It's amazing. Jesus made all matter. Everything that exists was made through his powerful word. No matter would exist unless Jesus had made it. Everything we see is made up of atoms that he created. But it's not just the stuff that we can see. It's the stuff that physicists theorize about, like dark matter 
and antimatter. Jesus made all that as well, stuff that is way beyond our comprehension. He gave you your ears that, that you're hearing this message with right now that, that we can see, but he also made the mind and the consciousness which we don't yet understand. The thing that you are, you are comprehending my words with now is a mystery to science. And Jesus made and understands all that. Right off the bat, Jesus is big. Jesus is bigger than we think. He's awesome. But then it goes on. It's not just what we see and the things we can't see. It says whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All power and authority came from him. And I think it's talking about authorities and powers on the earth as well. But Paul also uses that phrase to talk about spiritual realms of angels and heaven. All that stuff was made by Jesus. And it, and it goes on. All things have pre- been created through him and for him. All things created through him and for him. So, so he's the, the, the one who created them all. Made in, and it's made through him. All matter came into existence through him. But also it's made for him. The universe was made for him. You and I were made for him. You know, 500 years ago, Copernicus came up with a, with a shocking revelation. He, he, taught, he, he basically said that, that, um, that there was more to the, to, to, to the, to the universe than just the earth and, and that... that, that um, we were not the center of the universe. That in fact, we orbited the sun. And, and the church didn't like that at the time. And the, the ironic thing is that, that the church got that wrong. We, we, we can say that now, years later. We know that's true. And we can be a little bit embarrassed about that in our history and all that sort of stuff. But the irony is, we all still live, generally speaking, as if we're at the center of our own universe and that everything orbits around us. But that's not how it is. We're told that everything was made for him. It was created, and then the Father gives it to the Son and says, this is, this is for you. We exist for his glory. It's all made for him. We're told as well that he is before all things. He's eternal, timeless. Nothing existed before he existed. Nothing. There was no before him. He's eternal. Always existed. And in him, all things hold together. That means all the matter in the universe, all the billions and trillions and quadrillions of, of atoms that make up everything that we know are held together by his will. The reason that you are sitting where you're sitting today and listening to these words is because Jesus wills it. He holds it all together. He is the glue that binds the universe together by his will. He is holding us together at this moment. Do you get it? Jesus is supreme over everything because he created it all. So the question has to come, is our Jesus too small? Have we made Jesus small in our minds? Well, this passage just smashes Jesus to the right size. 
Jesus is the creator. You know, I think often we can, we can there's, there's all sorts of different versions of Jesus out there that we might find or, or fit. For example, I was reading about the award ceremony Jesus that we kind of reel out and that the celebrities reel out whenever they need to, to look humble on stage. Yes, thank you, Jesus, and for my wife and, and all these sorts of people because they, they really want to look humble. You know, that's one type of Jesus that you might have. Another type of Jesus is the drive-through Jesus. You know, when you need a bit of a top-up, you kind of dip into the Bible, you find Jesus, you get your fill, whatever you want, and then you go away. You know, okay. And then there's the hippie Jesus. You know, the hippie Jesus, the one who's all peace and love, and he's far out. You know, he would never say anything horrible to anyone. Nice, manageable Jesus. Then there's the super nanny Jesus. You know, we'll, we'll fill Jesus, our children, with, with, our, with our Bible stories in Sunday school. And so as they grow up, then they'll be okay. So we'll go to church while our children are younger. Then we'll give up later on. There's a type of Jesus that people have. Then there's the ATM Jesus. The idea that, that if we follow Jesus and keep him happy, then he'll keep us wealthy and keep, us, keep food on the table and, uh, and do all these sorts of things. Uh, and he'll keep us healthy. And then there's perhaps the invisible Jesus. The Jesus that, that we have, and he's personal to us, and we don't share him with anybody else, and we go off to work on a, on a Monday morning, and nobody would know we're Christians. No one would have a clue. And then we, we dip into church on a Sunday to get our top up, and then we go back into the world, the invisible Jesus. But are any of those the real Jesus? Jesus does not, you can't squeeze him in a box. You can't fit him in on Sundays. He, he is everything. Our entire universe, your life, my life revolves around him. He's the, re- the reason we have anything is so that we could give, give glory to the Son. We're all made for his glory. It's not the other way around. You can't, we can't fit Jesus into comfortable parts of our lives. We can't, can't compartmentalize him. There is only one Jesus, and he won't take second place. The second thing is that the gospel is bigger than we think. The gospel is bigger than we think. We see that in verse 18, and we're told that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have supremacy. So yes, you might say, well, we know that Jesus is the head of the church, but Jesus was, was the firstborn from the dead. That means he was the, the one who, came, who, who he died on a cross and he, he came back to life. And that one day all believers who trust in Jesus will come back to life with him. But he was the first. So that he would have supremacy in all things. But you know, the gospel isn't just about Jesus saving the church. We'll come back to the gospel a little bit later on. But it's, it's more than that. Just go on and look, have a look in verse 20. And through him... Sorry, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth and things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The gospel is bigger than we think. Did you see that? What is he reconciling? He's reconciling all things in heaven and on earth through the cross. The gospel isn't just about the forgiveness of our sins. We'll come back to that later on. The gospel is about Jesus reconciling all things together. You see, often I think we have a small view of sin as well. We tend to think sin is a personal thing that just happens to us. And we think sin just affects us. You know, sin is self-destructive. 
It's small, it's in here, and it doesn't affect all that. But the picture that the Bible paints of sin is of its, the fact that it is utterly destructive. You see, right at the heart of creation was relationship. We, God created everything out of, because he because he wanted to create people to join in with the relationship that he had. And right back then in the garden, Adam and Eve had that perfect relationship and everything was wonderful. And when that relationship broke, the universe broke. When that relationship in the garden broke, the universe broke. And that shouldn't surprise us. We know that when relationships break down, there is chaos that causes lots and lots of fallout. For example, when we see divorces happen, they're hideous. When relationships that are supposed to be forever end, there's lots of fallout. Families broken, children hurt, property divided and split in two, and arguments and bitterness that just goes on and on and on and on. And when the relationship that was supposed to be eternal between man and God was broken, it broke everything. We're told that, 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 that after God had talked to Adam and Eve, that, that thorns and thistles started to grow where, where trees and flowers used to be the only thing that grew. And when Adam bit that fruit at that very first moment, shockwaves went hurtling through the whole of the universe, and it affected and everything. The, the brightness of every star was dimmed. The beauty of all the colors in the universe faded. Mistrust and bitterness and lack of trust, all those sorts of things entered into human relationships. They weren't supposed to be there, but now they're there. The beauty, the natural beauty of every flower was marred when he disobeyed God and rebelled against him. The universe suffered. See, the, the, the salvation that's needed is not just that our sins would be forgiven. I mean, we do need that. But the salvation that's needed is that, that God would, would reconcile all things unto himself, things in heaven and on earth, and that's what the gospel is about. You know, I think most of us, as we, we live in a society as well, I think fixing the world is pretty big on, on the agenda of Western society. Isn't it? You know, we kind of we see all the stuff that's going on in the world. We see injustice, and we campaign against it. We petition against it. We see things that are going off in other worlds. We want to end poverty, and we want to do all that stuff. And and that's all great. That's not that's not bad stuff to do. But the Christian should understand, and we should understand that that's what Jesus is all about: ending all the, the, the all that's wrong with the universe, and He's doing it ultimately through the cross. And yes, we should be about trying to make the world a better place, but primarily the way in which the Christian does that is by bringing people to Jesus. That's what it's about. The gospel is bigger than we think. And the other thing is that his salvation is enough because it's all encompassing. You know, who is big enough to bring about a salvation like I've just described? One that could go right across the universe and stretch to the farthest heavens. Only Jesus. 
You know, as the Colossians are about to come at challenges and people are going to start to offer them other, other gods to say, why don't you have this god or that god just to make things slightly better? They'd be able to say, look, there is no god out there that has a salvation plan like Jesus. There is no one that can do anything like Jesus can. He is the first. He is everything. He is enough. And the gospel is good news, if we get it. But it's not about getting stuff from Jesus. It's about getting him. Did you see that as well? It's about being reconciled to him. Well, how do we get Jesus? I think this is something that I think is really important as well. Is that, So G, the, the, um, Jesus is bigger than we think. The gospel is bigger than we think. But the gospel is also better than we think. So let's have a look at verse 21. So, so the song has ended now. And Paul is applying some of this to his hearers. And he says this. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So this is what the gospel is, is about. God, God is restoring a relationship. But the problem that we have is that we were enemies with God. We were alienated from him because of our evil behavior. Now, I think often when we're talking about our evil behavior, we think, when we read that kind of, those kind of language, we, we're thinking about things like, well, the, the lies that we tell or the people that we hurt um, or, or the other things that we do in secret. And all those things are evil behavior, and it does encompass that. But I think... The passage gives us some really obvious thing to think about, and that's the fact that everything's made for him, and we don't live for him. We often live for ourselves, and that's our problem. Um, Earlier this week, um, the the, the women's Bible study had this fantastic illustration um, in it, and I I got a glimpse of it from Emily's notes, and it's basically this idea of of pirates. You know, pirates can be wonderful to each other. Imagine living on a pirate ship and everyone's nice, all the pirates are nice to each other. But ultimately, they're stealing the gold of the king. Okay, that's basically what we're doing every single day. People are glory thieves. Jesus deserves all the glory, all our praise, all our honor. And, and, And we might be nice to one another and be nice to our neighbors, nice to the people around us, even on a good day. Yeah, we do bad things, but also we, 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 we're nice and we find it hard to think of our evil behavior. But the truth is, even at our best, all the, the best that we have to offer is honor amongst glory thieves. He deserves everything and we don't give him anything. And as, as a result of that, he is our king. We've rebelled against him, which is like pirates stealing from him every day. So we deserve his wrath. That's what... We were. And now, this is the interesting thing. Now, if I was to describe honor amongst glory thieves, and I said, how do you feel about your... How, does that describe how you might feel? I, my gut feeling is a lot of Christians have put their hands up and said, you know what, that's, that's exactly what I'm like. Jesus deserves all the glory, and he doesn't get it from me all the time. I steal it from him. And we struggle, and we think, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to do a little better. But you know what? The gospel is better than trying harder and doing better. What does it say? It says, that's what you were in verse 21. But look at verse 22, what it changes to. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. He's saying, that's what you were. But that's not what you are. If you're trusting in Jesus... Today, if he is your savior, you are not a glory thief. 
we are told that's what we were. What we are is holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And, and earlier on in verse, I think it's verse um, 13, we're told it's put in a different way. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what happens when, 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 when we trust in Jesus. You know, often I think we, we, we think the gospel is all about the forgiveness of our sins. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing that happens and that has to happen. We need to come to Jesus to have our sins forgiven. But when we do that, we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we're placed in the kingdom of light. We're placed in the kingdom of Jesus. We're given a new passport, new papers, new costume. We're no longer pirates. We're sons. We're daughters of the living God and we are in His kingdom. There's been a complete transformation of our natures, of, of, of what we deserve. We've been taken out of one kingdom and placed in another. That's what we were. And even if you feel like this is what you are now, that if you're trusting in Jesus, this is not who you are. You are in the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what his blood, that's what his sacrifice has won for you. And you have the protection of God's favor. I mean, those words are just amazing, aren't they? Look at what it says. You... um, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. When he looks at you because of Jesus, he sees holy in his sight. And they're the only eyes that matter. He sees holy. He sees you without blemish, without accusation. That's wonderful, wonderful news. And I think often we're stuck right back here thinking this is who we are and this is all we'll ever be and how are we ever going to change. But then he wants us to know that's not who we are. Who we are is loved by Jesus, part of his kingdom, held by him. The gospel is better than we think. And he ends in verse 23 with, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the gospel held out, the hope held out in the gospel. He ends with a warning. This is true. This is true. But you won't find this hope anywhere else. You won't find it in, in, in any of the 33,000 gods of Hinduism. You won't find it in the God of Islam. You won't find it in, in, in any of the philosophies of our age, in socialism, in communism, or whatever, whatever ism it might be. The only place you will find this kind of hope is if you cling and hold on to Jesus. Is if you stay there, don't be tempted to walk away in other places. And this is the gospel, the only gospel that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and earth. And it's the gospel to which Paul has become a servant and the gospel to which we have been called to become servants, to take this message of a supreme Jesus who's bigger than we can ever imagine, of a gospel which has um, salvation purposes which are beyond what we can ever imagine, and to proclaim a gospel that is better than we could ever imagine.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are immense. You are big. And Father God, we, we, we come before you and we thank you for your word that, you, that, you, that you've given us in, just in these few verses, in those, just in those eight verses, um, it, 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 it has the power to turn the world the right side up. So often we live for the wrong things with the wrong, wrong motives. We think of our comfort and we, we think of what we need and what we require every day. But Lord, we're reminded today that the universe exists for the glory of your Son. The universe revolves around him. He holds it together. And it's all about him. He is preeminent. He is supreme. But we thank you, Father, that, that, that through his death on the cross, Lord, we don't just find forgiveness for our sins, which, would, which is awesome in itself. Lord, we find an entrance into your kingdom. We find a reconciled relationship with you. We find the, the beginning of, of a new creation, which is one only through Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to, to keep this image of Jesus in our minds, that he would continually get bigger and bigger and greater and greater, and that you'd help us, Lord, as we read your word daily to see this bigger Jesus. And that, Lord, you, want, you wouldn't allow us to think small thoughts of him anymore because in him you have revealed yourself perfectly and fully help us to do you justice by right-sizing Jesus in our hearts and lives and living for his glory in Jesus name amen